the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. It's a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions. We'll do the best that we can relying on our Bibles. All you have to do is call us. 210-340-9585 is our main number. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send questions that way. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Um, one button is all you have to push. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number, one more time, is 340-9585. A couple of real quick uh, announcements here or just thoughts that, that, that I'm having um, before we get into the questions. First, uh, Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow for the date, day edition. It's always Thursday, but Thursday is a holiday and we'll be off on Thursday. So uh, she will be live tomorrow. We'll be doing the program. I'm sure she'll be talking about vacation a little bit and some of the things that God is dealing with her on. But that's tomorrow uh, on the program. So that's uh, those of you normally tune in on Thursdays for Date Day Edition and tune in tomorrow. Uh, the other thing, and I mentioned this at the program yesterday, encouraging uh, as many of the ladies who 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 could to, to tune into the uh, Sweet Summer Devotion message last night. I got a chance to watch it today. It's a young woman named Christiana Hiner, and what a great job she did. Um, just a wonderful job. There's so much there. Uh, it's about 33 minutes long, but there is so much there. Uh, you'll be blessed. One of the advantages that I was um, uh, told today uh, of coming here live is that following the, the ladies who speak on the Sweet Summer Devotions is a, a general Q&A session for, for people in the audience. And Paula told me that the Q&A was as good as the message was last night. So uh, I would encourage you, watch the uh, Sweet Summer Devotions uh, that were from last night, Christiana Hinaire. Uh You can do that at calvaryessay.com. Just go into the recent studies and uh, it'll come up with Sweet Summer Devotions. And you can't miss it. You will be blessed. In the process. Okay, well, let me get right to questions while we wait your phone calls. Uh, the first one comes from Madeline. She says, Pastor, on in Acts 21, it says, Philip had four daughters who were prophetesses. What role did women prophets have in the early church? Uh, Madeline, women who were prophets, as in the case with Philip's four daughters. By the way, isn't that a wonderful legacy? Philip was an evangelist. He was a, a, a man that God used to do miracles uh, in the early church. Uh, a man full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and and uh, he raised four daughters who were used by the Lord 
as well, um, they would have the same role uh, in the early church as male prophets did. And we have to remember, Madeline, that in the early church, they didn't have Bibles to bring to church the way we do. They didn't have the, the full and complete revelation of God um, that, that we so often take for granted. And so the prophets, and here the prophetesses in the early church, were basically men and women who served in that function. Um, in a church service, they would get up and say, Thus saith the Lord, and and, and basically they would answer questions and handle issues, discipline issues, or, or sin issues, uh, according to the same word of God that we have. Uh, it would be verbal rather than written, but uh, they had all of the same functions as male prophets did. There was no distinction. Um, uh, you know, we, we get calls here a lot about women pastors. Um, pastors, uh, being a pastor is a role reserved for men. Um, God's the head of the church. Jesus is, and he's the one who said in his word, this is the way it's set up. doesn't mean that women are less than men, but in the early church, uh, the role of prophet was equally distributed to women and again, I want to emphasize they would have exactly the same role that men did in the early church. They would be speaking by the power and the authority of God's Spirit, and people would be expected to listen to them. So in their role, it was more telling people how to live or to deal with situations that would come up day after day in a, in a world that would be new and foreign to them. I mean, these are Jews. The early church was entirely Jewish. And so in this particular case... Um, um, they would have to make changes in the way they live. If they didn't know what to do in a certain situation, the prophets and prophetesses would supply the answer. So, Madeline, good question. Thanks very much. Um, I like that. Charlotte is our next uh, writer. She says, is there ever an orderly way the gift of tongues can be used in a church setting? Um, Charlotte, in church setting, I mean, I'm assuming you mean in a corporate setting. Um, And the answer is yes. Uh, You can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14, where Paul details uh, quite carefully uh, the the way that tongues is supposed to be used. Now, obviously, the way that tongues is supposed to be used is two or three at most, and always and only with an interpretation. That means if there are no interpretations of the gifts of tongues, then no more tongues would be utilized. It's just the, 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 the way that order has been established so that the church ministry doesn't get out of hand. Um, you know, we've all, and not all of us, but most of us have been in churches where everybody's speaking in tongues at once and it gets loud and rowdy. That's completely out of order. But there is a way to use the gift of tongues in an orderly setting, always with the permission of the pastor, um, uh, or in an afterglow setting. I'll talk about that in a moment. But there's always a way. The Bible tells us how to use the gifts. Since the gifts come from God, only God regulates the way they're used. And so, uh, Charlotte, if you've been in churches where the gift of tongues has been out of order, and again, I think a lot of us have, um, that's not ever the, the heart of God. It's not from God. Those are simply uh, people counterfeiting the gift. Um, Paul says if an unbeliever comes in and sees everybody speaking in tongues, he'd think we're crazy. Uh, so, so order is important in the house of God. I hope that makes sense to you. 340-9585, let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Welcome back from from sunny California with the ocean. <laughs> the full yeah, we didn't get I'm, we didn't get as much sun this year as we normally do. Uh, there was oh, a lot of marine layer, but the weather was still spectacular. Yeah, you know, I hadn't been to California for a while. I grew up out there, but I forgot how big the Pacific Ocean is. It is it is oh. huge. I mean, it just goes all over the place. But, uh, you know, my first question is kind of neat, or my question was kind of neat because your first question um, answered part of my question, which uh, I was reading in First Timothy today about um, when Paul was letting him know, you know, about the uh, false teachers and, you know, not to um, not to allow them to, you know, do any false doctrines. And what I was wondering was how how did they 
keep on track with what God's Word actually said when they didn't have an actual Bible to look through. So you answered that. But my other question would be, when when was the um, New Testament formulated together so that the church could actually uh, read through it? And I'll get off the uh, air and um, listen. Okay, thank you, Cindy. Appreciate the question. Uh, a couple of things. Um, um, the idea of of not having a Bible, they did have a Bible in the early church. It was the Old Testament. They had the law. They had the, the, the first five books um, um, of Moses. Um, so, so obviously they were to weigh things against that. Now, remembering that the early church was exclusively Jewish, there was a, a lot of discussion then about how Jewish somebody had to be in order to really be saved. And, and so the disputes uh, were risen um, constantly in the early church. You can read about that throughout the book of Acts. Uh, and the false teachers, most of the false teachers that, that Paul is addressing uh, in his epistles, uh, people that insisted on circumcision or Sabbath worship, um, um, circumcision, um, and, and Paul, of course, made it his life's work to say, no, we're free in Christ. He says to Peter, why put Gentiles under a yoke that even we who are Jews couldn't keep? So uh, it's very important that we, we understand they did have the word. But when the prophets and prophetesses were gifted to interpret uh, in a New Testament context, Cindy, uh, then they would be the way that the word was uh, was was disseminated. Can you imagine what it would have been like? We, we read about the church, 3,000 people on the first day, a couple of days goes by, and there's 5,000 more. Um, within the first six months, there are some people who estimate that the number of Jewish converts to Christianity were as many as 100,000 people. Can you imagine those people suddenly saying, well, now we don't know what to do about uh, this situation, that situation, you know, as Jews... This is what we did, but now what are we supposed to do? And that prophetic voice was very, very important. God's never left his people without his word. It's just that his word came through prophets at the time. Um, the other thing to remember is that that many of the people recognize that the letters, now we have those letters in our Bibles, the letters that we have were circulating um, as early as uh, 50 A.D., uh, that's that's 18 years approximately after Jesus' death and resurrection. So some of those letters would be circulating. And a lot of the people there, a lot of the Christians, recognize those letters as being equal uh, in authority with Scripture. So, so as the letters would circulate, Paul would answer the questions. They did have the availability. And those letters, of course, when it's delivered, were to be read aloud not only to the church they were addressed to, but the churches in the general area of those other churches. Um, so they, they, they did have the word. Uh, some recognized it. Some did not as, as being equal to Scripture. Uh, that's where some of the debates were. But, but the, the um, uh, early church had God's word. They had it through prophets and prophetesses, but they also had it through these letters, these epistles that were circulating um, the earliest known complete list of the 27 books of the New Testament uh, is found in a letter written by Athanasius. Uh, he was uh, a 4th century bishop of Alexandria. Um, uh, the second, uh, 27 book New Testament was first uh, officially canonized during the Council of Hippo uh, in 393 A.D. Um, in the 4th century. Um, um, and, and so, frankly, uh, the, the, having them canonized and put together was a process, but there, were, there was no time when God's word was not available to the people to whom the gospel was being declared. So, Cindy, thank you for the question. I hope that makes sense to you. Oh, my friend from San Leandro, California, Tanya on line one. Tanya, thanks for calling. It's good to hear from you. How are you? Good. I hope you guys had a great vacation, nice and restful. We did. 
Wonderful. I have Marcus here, so he's going to say hi. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hey, Marcus. How are you doing? How's college? Um, we're trying to get my schedule all together right now, so it's a little stressful. <laughs> and you're going? Oh, yeah. And you're going? You're going to Berkeley? I am. Good for you. I've, I've been praying for you. Thank, Thank you, Papa. You. I have a question, <laughs> Papa Ron. Um, my my question comes first from First Samuel, um, chapter fifteen, and um, where Saul, um, where Saul is supposed to uh, kill the Amalekite, uh, and he takes the king, and he takes the uh, ox and the sheep. Um, my question is: It says in the scriptures in chapter eight, verse First uh, Samuel fifteen, chapter eight. It said that he also took Agag, Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. I'm a little confused, and maybe it's a timing issue, but was, wasn't was Haman in the book of Esther uh, <laughs> an Agite as well? So did people, I mean, I'm assuming people were doing commerce. They weren't all exactly in the place where all uh, was supposed to annihilate them all. So I'm just a little confused on, on that piece. If you could expand on that. I can. I can. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Papa. Thank you. Uh, Tanya, um, you know, um, Haman, who uh, people don't realize this, but in the book of Esther, uh, it's the closest that God's people, the Jews, have ever come to complete and utter extinction. Um, um, Hitler killed six million Jews. Haman was going to destroy them all. And uh, Haman, a descendant of Agag, wouldn't have been alive if, in fact, Saul had done what God told him to do. So this is something that's really important for us to understand. This is why obedience, uh, later Samuel will say, what does God want? Does does God like uh, obedience or does God like sacrifice? And um, the idea is that all of the Amalekites, who who God had been very patient with, by the way, uh, all of the Amalekites were ordered destroyed. It was God's judgment. It wasn't genocide. It wasn't uh, anything other than they opposed God's people. Now, the Amalekites, of course, are an important picture uh, of our flesh as well. And so the, the picture here is we need to utterly destroy every bit of our flesh every day. Uh, Saul didn't do that. Now, why he didn't do it is also interesting, Tanya. He didn't do it because um, to take a king, to have have a victory, and capture the opposing king would be sort of like a trophy. So when he brought Agag back alive, the idea here is that they would have a parade, and a victory parade coming back in, and Agag would be at the head of the... The, uh, the parade uh, in chains, and this was Saul's way of saying, I'm the king, and I had this great victory, when in fact it was the victory of God. So Saul and the army spared Agag. Now we also know there were other Amalekites who got away. He didn't kill them all. He killed all of them. So the next verse in verse 9 says, they spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle. And then it says, everything that was good these they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So I think the unwritten thing here is that the things that they liked, they kept, although all of that plunder was to belong to God, and had Agag been killed the way he was supposed to be killed, had some of the other Amalekites not gotten away alive, then there would be no Haman and... Um, the idea there's anything of your flesh that you leave alive is going to end up trying to destroy you. And that's exactly what happened here. Great question. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Papa. Love you guys. Uh-huh. Love you too. Tell Marcus I'll keep praying for him. Let's go now and talk with Jimmy from San Antonio. Jimmy, you're on the air. Good to hear from you again. How are you? Good, sir. How are you? I'm doing really well. Um, oh, Martha's going to California in a couple of weeks, but she's going to Oceanside. Anyway. I, <laughs> anyway, I just I came back from you. Oceanside. Yes, that's where she lives. That's where her mom's at and her family. But I was going to tell you, that's where I met her. Uh, I was going to tell you that um, 
Why do some churches still? Uh, I know a church has like three pastors or women, and and I go to this PTO program. You know what a PTO is? Uh, I do not feel the onion program. I'm, I'm, uh, hmm. I've been going to it for for men, and they refer to this this lady as a pastor, and I said she's not a pastor. She's a yeah. God's using her to help us and to. Um, be uh, 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 God's using her in the church. I said, but I'm not going to refer to her as a pastor, mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But I'm just, mm-hmm. then I showed him that scripture, and I said, well, who are you to judge? And I said, I'm not judging you. Just showed, <laughs> the scripture tells you it, it's in black and white. It tells you this, so it's not me judging. It's God's word saying this. Great response. But they're like, well, you you know, like, because I'm, I'm like, what do you call it? I'm not being rude, but I'm being like um, using God's word. And this is this is the way it's going to be. This is what I believe. You, you know, Jimmy, it's amazing to me. It's something something that we all we have to deal with. We're going to have to deal with this more in the future. But it's amazing to me that that when when the word of God says something really, really clearly. And then somebody says, well, look, based on the word of God, this is the way it should be, or this is not the way it should be. Um, It's not well received because people want to do what they want to do. And that was true way back in the Old Testament, the book of Judges, where everybody did what seemed right to them. And sadly, in our church culture, people are still doing what seems right to us rather than being obedient to the word of God. So. Uh, the, the reason there are women pastors is because we want them. We 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 want to be independent. We want to to to, to be recognized for our complete commitment to equality. Uh, when the truth is, God says this is a role the woman can have, and we've got to choose whether we're on God's side or whether we're going to give in and compromise. And and when you confront people, and I know you did it respectfully, when you confront people, it's just not going to be well received uh, any longer. And then they're going to hate me for it. They're going to say, wow, <laughs> this guy's this guy's not good. This guy, we have to be careful with this guy. He, he looks at the scriptures too much. Right? Well, yeah, what, what they're going to do is they're, they're going to be offended and um, they're going to, they're going to call you names. That's, that's one of the, the prices we pay for standing for truth. The same exact principle, Jimmy, is true uh, with uh, same-sex marriage and churches that claim to be open and affirming and loving. And the suggestion is that people who say, no, we stand with the Word of God, are not loving. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's uh, 2019. We're just going to have to get used to it uh, because that's the way it's going to be. Oh, yeah. But anyway, I just believe in the Word of God. Yep. And I believe that everything that's written in there is the truth. And that's it. You know, that's all. Well, keep keep your heart right there, Jimmy. You'll be safe. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. <laughs> thank you, Jimmy. You too. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. You know, I think one of the, one of these days when we stand before the Lord in heaven, I'd I'd rather be on pretty solid ground of saying, "Well, Lord, you wrote it, and I believed it," and so that's what I told people. Now we're all going to stand before the Lord in our heart, our motives, how and why we stood for him is going to be revealed. But when our heart's right, and Jimmy has been a long time listener and caller to this program, so I've gotten to know his heart a little bit. Um, um, I, I know his heart's fine. God is going to say, thank you. You stood for me. Now I'll stand for you. And there will be rewards in heaven given for these things. It's just really a tragedy that so much of the professing Christian church is willing to compromise on things that are crystal clear in Scripture. And we obfuscate them and, and, and try to complicate the issues. When in fact it's real simple. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man in a church. That's the role of a pastor. And when we um, try to complicate that, we're, we're taking it out of the context. The context of that passage is orderly worship. I think sometimes we forget who's in charge because the truth is we do what we want to do. 
Thank you for the call, Jimmy. It's good to hear from you. I need to know you're okay from time to time. Here is our next question from Randy. I'm under one minute. Uh, let me see if I have a real, real quick one. Uh, here's one I can do real quickly. It's an anonymous question. Pastor Ron, do you find it necessary to have a personal bodyguard? <laughs> we have a security team, uh, anonymous. But what's funny is my security, the head of my security team is older than I am, you know, so it's not one of those things. So, no, I don't find it necessary to have a personal bodyguard. I'm I'm not, um, um, while well, anybody who teaches the Word of God may be a target, um, you know, God's the one who protects us. So, no, I don't. I, I realize some people have um, personal bodyguards. Um, I think maybe they get a little carried away with their own importance. Perhaps if I had death threats and things, it would be one of those things where I might... Uh, consider doing it, but no, I don't find it necessary to have a personal bodyguard. We've got 30 minutes left in our program today, the Tuesday edition. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. 340-9585 is the number to call. We'd love to have your call. We'll see you in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the program we have 30 minutes left for your questions and answers let's go right to brooke in san antonio on line one brooke thanks for holding you on the air hi pastor um thanks for taking my call Hi, um, I really enjoy your show and your ministry. I just wanted um, you to, yes, I was just wondering if you could just speak for a minute um, on the um, churches that are founded on the five-fold ministry out of the book of Acts. And I'm asking because I have a friend who um, says that it, she, the Holy Spirit speaks to her and um gives her messages and, and words um, practically daily during her prayer time, and she will not attend a church that's not based on the five full ministries. And um, I am a born-again believer, believe I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Lord just doesn't speak to me that way. I'm not saying he doesn't speak to her, but I just wanted to know your stance on that, and if you could go into that a little bit about the fivefold ministries and the relevancy to today's church. And, um, yeah, I, I guess that's it. And I will hang up and listen for your answer. Okay, Brooke, thank you very, very much. Um, a couple of things, um, um, just just to get started here. Um, the, the whole idea of the fivefold ministry is a um, a poor understanding of what the Scripture says. The fivefold ministry, um, you know, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets. Um, uh, Ephesians chapter four, uh, verse eleven. Um, uh, but, but remember, in, in Ephesians chapter two, he's already um, established that the office of apostles and prophets is foundational. It's, it's, it's already been laid and the church is being built. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. So he's not contradicting himself when he gets to chapter 4. It's not like he forgot what he wrote. Uh, he's talking about Jesus giving gifts to the church and he gave apostles to church. We know who they are, uh, including the apostle Paul. He gave some to be prophets. We talked about Philip's four daughters, uh, but we also know of other uh, prophets. Uh, the, the writers of our New Testament were all New Testament prophets. Uh, Philip's four daughters, Agabus, uh, and there are many others. Barnabas, Silas, they were also prophets. But remember, he gave them to the early church as a foundational gift uh, until the word of God would show up. So of the fivefold ministry, two of them are no longer active. And that's as clear as it can be. If you look at the Greek grammar in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. So when we've got apostles and prophets, those gifts are not being given. Those offices are closed. Now, it's also true, Brooke, that we have um, um, 
offer a gift still given. There's the, the gift of prophecy that's still given from from First and First Corinthians, but the gift of prophecy does not make one a prophet. So that doesn't apply. So when when she's saying, and this is usually true of what I call charismania, uh, and I'm a charismatic. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit of her today, but but those gifts. Um, um, when they're out of control, they're simply not from God. Now, the, the, the most important thing that you can talk to your friend about is um, when people come up and say that God gave me a word for you, um, taking some prophetic office, or, or there are, are, are Bible teachers, bad ones, but Bible teachers nonetheless, who claim to be apostles. Those are people that we need to be afraid of. First uh, John four one says it were to test the spirits. Not every spirit is from the Lord. So what your friend is hearing, it's not God speaking to her at all. It's the enemy speaking through well-meaning people, and I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt in terms of motive. But it's the enemy, and and you see, there's never any settled doctrine. So please hold on, Brooke, to what you know to be true. God will speak to you as He always has. Uh, through his word, if he has something he wants to say to you directly in response to a prayer or a question you have, he will do that. He'll speak to your heart, but then we always have to remember to validate that word that's coming to our heart um, with the word of God to make sure it really is from God. We're to, we're to check out the spirit behind the word. And the only way we can do that is to know the word. And the people who are in these fivefold ministry over-the-top charismatic uh, churches, um, they're, they're, they're being taught falsely. They're being misled by those who are misusing uh, the gifts or even the offices. So uh, a church that has a five-fold ministry foundation is a church that's out of balance. It's a church that's on unsteady ground uh, because of what Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 20 says. Um, Jesus himself, the cornerstone. The church is built on that foundation also with the prophets and the apostles. It's like Jesus holds them together. He called them. And that foundation in the Greek has already been laid. And then it says the church, evangelists, pastors, and teachers that work is still building the church. So the, the foundation already laid, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers continue to build, but on a foundation that's already been laid. So stick tight to the Word of God. Um, be in prayer for your friend. She's in a dangerous place. What that usually means is that they want a, a voice. God told me to tell you this. Um, a lot of times people who aren't really digging in the word and believe me, anybody who believes in a fivefold ministry uh, as, as effective church um, uh, ecclesiology um, uh, isn't a, a good steward of God's word. And that means they're being misled and all they have to do is test the spirit against the word of God and they'll find out where it's from. So Brooke, be loving towards your friend, but at the same time, um, she needs to know that she's in a dangerous place. To, to say, I'm not going to go to a church where uh, it's not built on the foundation of the fivefold ministry, is to say, I'm going to go to a church the foundation is already shaky, and it's a very dangerous place to be. I hope that makes sense to you, Brooke. Appreciate the call. 340-9585. Uh, Randy asks the question, Pastor Honor, are there still prophetic voices today? Um, yeah, there are prophetic voices, Randy. Um, there are um, uh, men and women today who uh, will, by declaring the word of God, um, are prophesying about the future. Now, it's not a foretelling of the future as much as it is a foretelling. You see, in, in the New Testament, we have these prophets uh, like the Apostle John, the Book of Revelation, the Apostle Paul, in especially Second Timothy, but in the other books as well, um, they're they're foretelling the future. In the last days, there will be perilous times. That's a, a foretelling in the future. Um, but today, Randy, the prophetic voices 
are exercising the gift of prophecy, which I said earlier does not make one a prophet, but they're exercising the gift of prophecy. And that gift, according to 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, is a gift that is to edify or to strengthen the church. So there are still prophetic voices. It's just not the ones who claim to be prophets. Uh, I can declare, uh, if I'm teaching 2 Timothy chapter 3, I can declare uh, with a prophetic voice what lies ahead in our future. But never would I say, I am a prophet, so you have to listen to me. And the people that get sort of sucked in by these uh, who claim to be apostles and who claim to be prophets, basically they're looking for shortcuts. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't really want to study it, so I want somebody to tell me what to do. We're always in a dangerous place. Uh, Are there still prophetic voices? I think when you find solid Bible teaching, Randy, you're hearing prophetic voices. I think when the gift of the Spirit is being exercised, the gift of prophecy, then you're going to see a prophetic voice. But as for a voice that says, thus say it, the Lord, if you do this, this is going to happen, that's simply not the, the Spirit of God, not at all. So the gift still is in use, but the office is not. And those who claim to be prophets, Randy, are not prophets of the God that the Bible tells us about. Here is an anonymous question. God made us in his image, male and female. That has to mean God is both genders. That being so, what's wrong with transgenderism? Uh, Anonymous, you have no understanding of what it means to be made in God's image. Uh, And it doesn't say that God is both genders. Um, it, It simply said that God made us in his image, male and female, he made them. Now, To be made in God's image has nothing to do with our gender or our sexuality. To be made in in God's image requires two things. That's all, and we need to simplify this once for all. There are so many people who are saying, well, no, we're all image bearers of God, but only in a biblical sense. And here's what that means. It means, first, that we're eternal. As God is eternal, we're, we're eternal. We are all going to live somewhere forever and ever and ever. Once we're born, once life comes to us, we're going to live somewhere forever. Now, obviously, we choose where we're going to live. We live uh, with heaven. That means we've chosen Jesus. If we uh, choose to reject Jesus, it means we've chosen to live separate from God. So as God is eternal, we too are eternal. Now, the other thing, and I think this is where people get confused, that we're made his image doesn't mean at all that we look like him or that we have his image in us. It means that we have the capacity to choose, just as God chooses those who are his. Well, we have to choose if we're going to be one of those who are his. So Anonymous, when it says that we're made in his image, there's no reference at all to transgenderism. In fact, the, the, the man or the woman who says, I was born male, but, but I feel like I'm female, or I was born female, and I feel like I'm male, um, they are rebelling against the very image of God that they're, they're upholding in, in the case of your question. What they're saying is, God, I am unhappy with who I am. I refuse to, to be who you've made me to be. Now remember, God only made Adam and Eve by his own hand. He made the rest of us through the process of multiplying and being fruitful. And we live in a fallen world. And so to say that God made me a male in this process, I was born a male, but I want to be a female, is to reject the creation of God. It's to say, I'm unhappy. You weren't fair to me. This is who I am. I want to be somebody else. And by the way, Anonymous, it's why... So many who have sex reassignment surgery or others uh, who um, are are not yet at that point, but but transitioning by by taking um, um, drugs to to help them change. Um, They're they're basically saying, I, I do not accept who God has made me to be. And that's never a good place to be. So your theory, your logic, well, it may make a lot of sense to you and people who are struggling with their gender. 
identity. Uh, your logic is false. It's, it's simply not true. We are made in the image of God. We have to choose where we're going to spend eternity, and that's because we, like God, are eternal. And he made men and women in that image. doesn't mean that we look like God or that we have um, female body parts if we're male or male body parts if we're women. It doesn't mean that we get to choose. We never get to do what we want. God is the Lord, the King of everything. So very important that you understand that uh, it seems like you want to be convinced that transgenderism is okay. It is not. It never will be. And until you understand that, um, you're going to be struggling. It's painful to rebel against God. Here's a question from Angel. He wants to know if I agree with Beth Moore preaching in churches. I think my producer told me that Pastor Ken had a Beth Moore question uh, while I was gone. Uh, this is a different one. Um, I'm not a Beth Moore fan. I, I'm not a fan of her style. I believe she loves God with all of her heart. Um, I have no doubt that she's been gifted to teach. Um, but she seems of late to be sort of on a crusade to uh, be a pastor. Now, she's not a pastor. Um, she doesn't claim to be. But she would be one who would say that I am advocating full equality in every role in the church, and this is a movement that's gaining a lot of steam. So I don't agree with Beth Moore preaching uh, in churches. She's not a pastor. She can't be a pastor. However, I have no problem with Beth Moore teaching women. I have no problem with Beth Moore writing books that are, are books that, that, that basically are teaching, and Beth Moore seems to be heavy on application, which is a good thing. Um, but but I think any time, Angel, that we step outside of the role that we've been assigned by God, then we're in a dangerous place, and we're putting others in a dangerous place as well. We as Christians have got to get over the fact that God needs to sort of step it up and get up to speed with the modern culture. God is the ancient of days, and he's not going to change. And um, uh, again, Beth Moore, her teaching, if you like it, God bless you. Um, but the truth of the matter, she's Southern Baptist, um, and she is literally at war with her own convention. I think it's time for Beth Moore to, to step away from the SBC and, and do whatever she's going to do, but just don't blame God for doing it. I, I have much more respect for somebody who says, well, I don't care what God says, I feel like I can be a pastor. Um, it's just not true. So, Angel, I hope that makes sense to you. Here is another anonymous question. Uh, how can I completely deal with being so fearful? I try dealing with fear, but I'm still afraid. Anonymous, I think sometimes we get um, a little confused about what dealing with fear or worry or anxiety really is. The truth is that we're all afraid. And just because you're fearful about something doesn't mean that you're in sin. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with your faith. What it means is that though we are afraid, we can still walk with Jesus. Though we're afraid, we don't have to give in to that fear. Even though I'm afraid, I can still be obedient to the Lord. And I've shared this with my church many times, Anonymous. But I live every day of my life in fear. Uh, I, I I fear God. I fear the the responsibility that God has given me as a pastor, as a Bible teacher. Uh, I, I realize that I'm leading people. Uh, there are people who are following me as I follow Christ, which which the Apostle Paul says is a good thing. But I'm also aware that if I do something that is not of God, that there are some people that can be hurt, and and I'm afraid of that. I have that healthy fear, not only of God, but I don't want to mess with anybody else. So I'm afraid. You know, we do crazy things here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Everything is free, and it costs a lot of money to do free stuff. And I don't have this huge building where I can have church of 5,000 people or more. And so when God says to take this step of faith, I'm afraid. But the way I overcome it is to take the step of faith anyway. So don't be hard on yourself because you're afraid. Just learn how to deal with your fear. And the way you deal with your fear is to trust God 
about those things that you're fearful of. I think if we expect Anonymous that one day we're going to completely overcome fear, we're not going to be fearful anymore, we're, we're, we're in for a terrible surprise because uh, fear is a part of our human nature. Every time Jesus said, don't be afraid, every time an angel appears and says, don't be afraid, what happens? Well, the people still are afraid. But as New Testament Christians, what we can do is simply commit, okay, Lord, I'm afraid, but I'm going to do it. Paul used to tell the ladies here all the time, um, I know you're afraid, but do it afraid. And as long as you're obedient, I think it's so pleasing to the Lord when we overcome personal fear. I think it's so pleasing to the Lord that we do it because we trust Him. And if we're afraid enough, we'll rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to do what He's asking us to do instead of trying to do it on our own. So, if I completely deal with being afraid, you mean not to be afraid. You're missing the whole point. The way you deal with being afraid is to be obedient, even though you are afraid. Oh, I pray that made sense. 340-9585, here is a question from Brian. He says, I am convinced Jesus is coming back soon, but most of the people I talk with, the idea of a rapture or waiting for Jesus to return is pointless. How can I reason with them? You know, Brian, I don't know that there's any way to reason with people who don't want to be reasoned with. Um, I, too, like you, am convinced Jesus is coming back soon. Uh, I don't know what soon means. Uh, Peter says, uh, the, the scoffers that he addresses, oh, you've been saying, where is this coming? You've been talking about he delays his coming. Well, well Jesus' coming has been delayed for 2,000 years at this point. But here's what I know, Brian. The early church, their primary source of power was that the early believers really expected Jesus to return at any moment. The Apostle Paul was definitely pre-trib. And we who are still alive will be caught up in the air together with the Lord. It's very important. So you keep telling people that Jesus is coming back soon, whether or not they think it's pointless, doesn't matter. Don't argue with them, just declare it. And avoid the controversy. Brian, hope that helps. Let's go to an anonymous call from San Marcos on line one. Thanks for calling, you're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. The show is good to have you back, but we enjoyed uh, your substitute. Thank you. He did a, he did a good job. It was cool having his wife in there Thursday. Yeah. And my name's not really anonymous. Uh, my middle name is yeah, Anthony, I... so I'm going to go by Anthony today. <laughs> okay, Anthony. Uh, I got a friend that, that uh, is Episcopalian, and every time we talk, he says, kind of a conservative Episcopalian, but every time we talk, he says, I just don't like my priest because he's a... He's a pre or post millennia. No, a pre or post rapture. This, that, and the other. And mm-hmm. uh, and one day it hit me. I said, you know, it doesn't. Yeah, okay, that's kind of debatable. I believe this. You believe that. The priests believe that. I said, but don't get hung up on that. Um, what did, what were Jesus' last words to us? Go make disciples. Teach them to obey everything I taught you, and then I'll be with you. And. Uh, yep. So I, that's my answer. Every time somebody starts talking about rapture stuff, my, my parents up in North Texas, everybody wants to hear the pastor do a series on Revelation. Yeah, I understand that. But so many of us kind of, some of us, including me, used to, I get hung up on that. You know what I'm saying? My actual question is, I, I was divorced in 2010. Uh, I am the husband of one wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was only one wife. Uh, I'd like to get remarried someday. How do you think a believer, born-again person, goes about leading themselves into the dating scene if there is such a biblical version of dating scene. I don't want, that's not why I come to church, but what what better place to find somebody whose walk you can watch? And I think, I think that's what God intends. And, uh, you know, one of the things that you can, you can watch if you've got some time, Anthony is, is, um, last night's sweet summer devotion, um, the young woman who spoke, um, she married a, a boy that was basically born here. And, um, you know, she, she wasn't looking for a, a husband, but, but she saw a godly young man. Uh, God's kind of spiked that desire in her heart. And I think that's the best way to do it. I, I, I certainly am not a fan of, of online dating or dating apps. 
Uh, I think that lacks faith. I realize that's the way of the world these days. But I think as Christians, what we ought to do is say, Lord, prepare me for a woman. You give me this desire in my heart to enter the dating scene. Uh, Prepare me for the woman that you are preparing for me. And if you let God do that, then he will bring that woman. You will see her in your church or wherever it is that you, you run into her. And you'll be able to know that she loves Jesus. You'll be able to know with confidence that you're equally yoked. And you can't do that online. Uh, you, you, you opened a conversation talking about your friend who's an Episcopal. Uh, I, I wouldn't advise any committed Christian, as I know you are, to, to date somebody from the Episcopal Church. Why? Because they've thrown away the Bible. So there's an unequal yoke uh, at, at the very beginning of it. So what I would want to do is say, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you with this choice. Who do you want me to marry and, and or who do you want me to date? And then I would pursue that person uh, in a godly manner. One thing that, that I will say very clearly is that no Christian man should sport date. And by that I mean, well, let's just see if I like her, if she likes me. Um, I think we, we, we date with the intention of finding the woman and staying there. Great question, Anthony. Thanks. And I know who you are. God bless you. Hey, we're out of time for today. Paula will be live in studio tomorrow on the Date Day edition. Even though it's Wednesday, you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. I'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, at 4 o'clock. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.